Man, it's so good to see you guys. If it's your first time, first time in a long time, welcome to Better Life Church. Uh, we also have an amazing campus in Grayson. Can we get for our Grayson campus as well? Come on. You know, we are one church in, in, in two locations. As God continues to grant us favor to reach this region, we continue to hope to plant uh, more locations and more churches uh, to reach more people with the gospel. You know, if you're visiting with us, we're in this series called You Asked For It. And so what we did in the beginning is you submitted a bunch of questions, and we took your questions and kind of the ones that made its way to the top. Those are the ones that we decided to address. We know a lot of you had questions. We're not going to be able to address every one of them. In fact, some of them were like personal uh, like counseling questions, and I would encourage you to continue to seek out those answers uh, that's not even addressed here from the stage. But I'll tell you what, it's been, a, it's been an amazing series so far, and hopefully over the next two weeks, uh, God will show up and do something great as well. So let's just go ahead and make sure we have uh, like the standard uh, set here real quick. Uh, we believe that everyone has convictions, everyone has beliefs, everyone has opinions. Convictions are things that you die for. Jesus came, he died, he got up out of the grave, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a conviction. You die for that. You believe that, that Jesus will save and can save anyone. A belief is a little bit lower than your convictions. It's something that you won't die for, but boy, you'll fight for it. Like you'll fight for a belief. For instance, maybe you believe the earth is 6,000 years old. Maybe you believe the earth is 6 trillion years old. You have a belief. You can back up your belief. That's great. But that's something I'm not going to die for that. I'll fight for it. I've got a belief about it. But, man, I'm not going to die for that. And then we have opinions. Oh, dear Lord, do we have opinions. Right, church? Come on. Opinions are things like uh, worship style. They have a guitar and drums on stage. That's an opinion on how you think worship should be done. Uh, what you wear to church, that's opinion. Uh, Bible translations, that's an opinion. And most problems uh, people have with the church is really not their core conviction. It's not even really their core belief. It's their opinions. And their opinions have forced people and ran people off because they think you should wear certain things. Worship service should be a certain way. You should have a certain translation you can use. And what happens is when your opinions become your convictions, and then everything is serious, and then you lose the sight of the most important thing ever, which is what? Jesus came, he died, and he got up out of the grave, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we know going through this series, not all of us are going to have the same beliefs. Right? That's okay. Uh, not all of us got the same beliefs. And it's okay to come and worship in the same place when we all have different. I know you, we all have different beliefs. And you're never going to find a church you believe everything exactly the same. It's just not out there because we say this all the time. Even if it's just you and you started your own church, eventually you're going to get upset with you. <laughs> and you're not going to believe in, in what you have. So we know that. But we got to have it for church that has the same conviction that believe it, Jesus came, he died, he got up out of the grave, and we're going to focus on King Jesus. Last week, we talked about several questions you asked, and maybe this would just intrigue you a little bit to go back and download the app or maybe, or maybe watch it online. We, we talked about, is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? So if that's something that intrigues you, we'd love for you to go and check that out. We talked about, is cussing a sin? What about rated R movies? Uh-oh. You know, like, what about rated R movies, right? Uh, what about like interracial marriages and things like that? So if any of those things, like, oh my gosh, that intrigues me. I'd like to hear what the position is or what do you think about that? We'd love for you to go download the app and check that out. So how this has been working is we've had a big topic we talked about, and then we did like a rapid round, and I try to answer a few questions, and then we end it. We're going to do that in reverse today. We're going to start with the rapid round, and then we're going to jump in and finish the big topic, the big talk about sexual sins here at the end. So if you're ready to get started, so let's go. You asked for it. All right, here we go. 
Uh, should Christians participate in Halloween? Whoa, that was a good, right? Right. Should Christians participate in Halloween activities? Well, let me go in and say this. Your kid dressing up in a costume, going to your neighbor's house, knocking on the door, asking for candy. One is brilliant, by the way, and two is not a sin whatsoever it's not a sin now for some of you you have a deep conviction that like my family's not going to participate in halloween that my kid's not going to dress up and that's okay uh, make sure you know why that's okay and why you stand that position and explain that to your children as well when they go to school or whatever it may be uh, that you, you believe that. But if you do all the research on it, we know that All Saints Day, we can't even track it back, was on November the 1st. And November the 1st is when they celebrated those saints who've gone before us and believed in them and, and in all the great things. And then somewhere, we can't even trace that really back where it starts, but somewhere over in England and Europe area, the group of people uh, decided, you know what, our first, the New Year's starts on November the 1st, summer ends October 31st, and the dark time and the fall and the winter months and death kind of begins on November the 1st. So October 31st was a blurred day, and what they believed was that those who have died in, before us come back on October the 31st, and they roam the earth on that night. And so the thought was if we dress up as ghosts or goblins, maybe the dead won't see us, and then they won't say nothing, they won't harm us, they won't do nothing from it. And from that took a lot of toll in the witchcraft and things like that. But hundreds of years later to the day, uh, for you dressing up and your kid, you know, participating in uh, trick-or-treating, it, it's, you know, use your own judgment, that is up to you, what your own opinion or belief is about that. Uh, but from what I've seen in studying research, that is not a sin. And I know what somebody's saying, well, my kid is not going to participate on the devil's holiday. Honey, listen, the devil's out every single day. He's looking to devour you, and he ain't waiting until October 31st. I promise you that. He wants to destroy your marriage, your finances, your relationships, your purity, and your kids. And he is not waiting until one day of the year for that to happen. He is out to get you every single day. So you use your own judgment and you walk there. Obviously, if you're in the witchcraft and doing things like that on that night, if you're doing it any night, by the way, uh, that, that is wrong, okay? Uh, especially Ouija boards. Stay away from Ouija boards. I'm serious, man. Stay away from that job. And so, uh, so if that's you and you're in that kind of stuff, you know, yes, that, that's wrong. It doesn't matter on Halloween. But you use your own judgment. Just make sure if you're a parent, you're going to say, okay, we're going to stand on this belief. Make sure you explain to your children why you stand on that belief. So when they go to school or, or wherever, uh, they're able to walk through that. Uh, second question, I'm assuming this was addressed to me personally, but let's talk about it collectively. Why are you or us not more vocal about politics or about our politicians? Um, well, that's a very easy answer. Well, politics is not the hope of the world. If politics was the hope of the world, I would talk more about politics, but it's not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Only Jesus can change your life. If, if, you, if we could write laws that change the human hearts, then we would be writing laws. I would be like, oh, let's write a law that changed the human. But the, a law only shows you how wicked we really are. <laughs> a law shows you how low you can go in society until there's consequences, until you break it. And, and, and so if I have 30 minutes of your time through the week and that's all I have, I'm not going to stand up here and talk about a candidate or a party. I'm going to talk about Jesus because only he can fix your marriage. Only he can heal you. Only he can bring the prodigals home. Only he can change your family tree. So I'm going to focus on Jesus. But since you asked... <laughs> 
And you brought the subject up. Let me just walk through this real quick because people ask, well, how, how do you vote and, and which one's the best? First of all, they're both jacked up, man. I mean, they're all over the place. And I, I'm going to talk about both major parties. If you're in the middle and you're like green, tree, I'll say, okay, that, that's fine. Let me talk about the, the big. It, both of them are messed up. Both of them have issues. Both of them are like off the wall, uh, both way it goes. But most people vote based on something that affects them personally. So, for instance, if you have two elderly parents and you're afraid their Social Security is going to be taken away and only their Social Security what allows them to live and you don't want them coming living with you and you have to pay for them and you're going to pray, God, for their Social Security to make it, you're going to pull a lever for someone who's going to affect them, right? You're going to do something that affects you personally. If you're thinking about, oh, my gosh, and usually that Social Security doesn't really affect your parents. It affects my generation or the generation to come because I'm here to tell you, you don't get out of $22 trillion debt. It ain't going to happen. I mean, it ain't like you have faith, Pastor. I have faith. It won't happen. I tell you on that. It, you just don't do it. You can't get out of 20. We will go bankrupt as a country. It's just a matter of time for that to happen. Or, or, or you look at it and you say, you know, they're going to touch my retirement account or, or that CEO or, or that group or my pension. So I'm going to pull a lever. Why? Because it benefits me. It affects me. And so most people think about themselves when they go to the polls and they vote for something that directly or family, very close to your family, that will direct or, or apply to you. And, and so everyone's got their own different reasons why they vote. And everyone, some of you, you've been raised up and your grandpappy and your great-grandpappy and your grandma and your mom, and you just know that you just pull a lever. You don't know what the party stands for. It's just in your DNA. It's in your blood, and you just pull it and you go. You talk a little bit about the other side really bad after church on Sundays like a good Christian would. And, and then all of a sudden, you go and you just pull a lever. And then some of you, you really study it. I mean, like, you're in it. You're, you study all the bases and back and forth, and you go. But at the end of the day, you know, how do you, how do, you do it when the both sides are so corrupt? And you think about Christians, because here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. Both sides will take this Bible, and they'll cherry-pick verses. This side will say something, and this side will say something. I mean, some of the most off-the-wall chart, and they'll pull one out here. And then you got a conservative over here pulling this over, and you got a liberal pulling the same verse out over here. Like, what? And you're sitting there going, I'm a Christian. What do I do? And so, obviously, the first thing we begin to do is we begin, obviously, pray. Uh, God, what do, you, what do you want me to do? How would you lead me to vote? And I was just going to say this. If you do not go and vote then you need to be quiet on Facebook and quit talking about politics. You're not going to vote. Because listen to me, people in my family, people in my wife's family, people in this church, in your families, people, men and women died to give you the right to cast a vote. Died for your freedom to choose. Died for our freedom of religion here to be able to stand here. So if you're going to say something, make sure you go and vote. Now, here's what happens. Well, my one vote is not going to, trust me, one hanging Chad can determine the whole thing, right? I mean, what you, but you matter. It's not about whether that makes that one difference. It's that you do your duty as men and women fought for you to give you the freedom to go and vote. So if you do that, then obviously I want to encourage you to go and do that. But you pray about it. And here's the reality. God's in complete control of this. God says, I can rank up kings and I can destroy kingdoms. So we are not God. We don't understand the big picture. Whether who is in the Oval Office, we do our very best. We vote to our conscience that we choose. And at the end of the day, we surrender saying, God, you are in control and we trust you. Now, for me personally, since you asked me personally, what are some things that, what are the big things? Again, everybody has their own things. Uh, but for me, one of the things I'm really, just really, um, I, I would say convicted about this and this can go. And, and listen, I know everyone has different beliefs on this subject and go back and forth. But for me, I am extremely, extremely pro-life. 
And that, that's a big thing that's near and dear. I've watched my wife. We walked through losing, uh, having a miscarriage at 16 weeks. We, 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 we read the scripture and we see that we personally believe that birth, uh, that life, I mean, starts at conception. And at that moment, everyone has a right to live. Everyone has a right to, for their God-given purpose to fulfill the destiny that God has. There's no child that's an accident. There's never an accident. Now, I know you said, what about the rare cases? We'll have a talk conversation about that. But in general, I'm extremely for everyone have a chance to the right to life to make that happen. So I, I, I vote that. That's some, listen, tax me all you want. Increase my taxes. That's okay. That's okay. Hey, guess what? Take my pension. Take my paycheck. That, I mean, take it. Okay, that's whatever. But for me... And for me, when it comes to the value of life, that is the big one. That so when you stand up on us, I don't care if you're my neighbor, you, we could be friends, and, and that's okay. People say, well, if you disagree with me, you don't love me, you're a bigot, and all this stuff. Honey, then don't get married, okay? You know what I'm saying? Because you'll disagree with them, and I still love her, honey. Oh, no, she is fine. I love my wife, even though when we have disagree. So don't throw the thing, we can't disagree and still get along. We all have our different thoughts and convictions. But for me, when it comes to this for life, uh, that, that one's a big one for me. And, and honestly, even when it goes into a party and a party stands on that and they stand on the stage and they smile about it and they joke about it and they're okay about murdering babies and late-term abortions and all this stuff, I can't go there in my conscience. I cannot go in that route. And so if every party on the planet or everyone, every candidate runs and they're all about pro-choice, they're all about abortion, and that's their platform and they're proud of it, like they're proud of murdering babies and that's their platform, I will still do my duty as a citizen and I will go and vote, but I will write someone's name in that I know that stands because I need to do it. And you're like, well, then why go vote? That person's not going to make it because men and women died for me to cast that vote and I deserve to go and honor them and vote for that. So the Bible says in Proverbs 14, it's the righteousness of a nation that sets it apart. And I'm telling you, honey, our nation is far from being righteous. Both sides, both. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, listen, I'm not just saying, I'm not even having one way. Both of them are far from being righteous. But when it comes to pro-life and pro-family and pro-faith and pro-church, I'm going to stand on that. Listen, we have candidates now that are running whose goal is to take all taxes in uh, status from the church. It's okay. If they have to take it, they take it. That's what's going to come to that day anyway. They're going to take it. Okay, fine. As taxes, like taxes going to stop God's church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They've tried for 2,000 years and we're still here, right? I mean, so like, like that's going to change it or, or fix it. Um, so whatever it may be. And they're trying to say our goal is to shut down churches and this religious freedom because churches are hurting our country. I'm like, what in the world are, are they running on? So anyway, you know, do your homework, do it, find out what you believe, find out where you stand, and then you've got to stick to that. And I understand that not if you take that same position, and that's okay. You're, you're, you can, you're more welcome. That doesn't mean you don't have to go find another church because you believe certain different. As your pastor, I want you to know that's how I will lead us. That's how I lead my family, and that's how we vote. And I get to say that today because I have the microphone. So anyway, um, and, and I, I'm really not flaunting that. I'm not really saying, you know, push the, I'm just letting you know, that's where I stand. That's how I vote when it comes to uh, casting the ballot. So um, I know we all disagree in different things, and that's okay. We are just so glad that you're here because we're going to make the main thing about Jesus and focus on him. So the big question you asked then, according to the Bible, what are a specific uh, or what's considered sexual sins? Ooh, sex. Here we go, right? What? I mean, I hope you came with your big boy pants on and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, some of you may blush a little bit today, but that's all right. Uh, we should not be afraid of these topics. Like, the church should be a place to, where you are not okay that you could, you could come and you can search these. And we can have conversations and we can have dialogues about this. We don't, listen, we're not going to be the church that holds up signs and, 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 and picket and all that stuff because that's not how you change the world. 
You change the world by loving people and being generous and having conversation and you're talking about Jesus. So what are the sexual sins, the moral sins, if we are morals of, uh, of the Bible talks about and what's right and what's wrong? So let's, let's make sure we're on the same page here. I know some of you here today, you may be anti-God. You may not believe in the Bible. Uh, you're just checking this whole God thing out, whether you're watching online at one of our locations, and you're like, man, I'm just trying to check this thing out. I just don't even know if it's real. Um, you, you may believe, I don't believe that the morality, the morals are found here. That's not what you, where you base it on. So if you don't believe in God and you don't believe the Bible's true, then we got another whole conversation. You and I need to have another whole conversation apart from them to get to how do we trust that this is God's word. I'm coming to you today because I only have 22 minutes to make this happen. I'm coming with you today saying, guess what? I'm going to make an assumption that you believe God's real. I'm going to make an assumption that you believe that this is God's word. And if this is God's word and God is real, then what are considered sexual sins uh, in our life? If you do not believe that this is God's word and you have to base your morals on something, you've got to figure out what do you base your morality on? You're going to let the government define your moralities for you? You're going to let Google and what you research find your moralities for? Are you going to be your own God and become up with your own moralities and what's absolute truth to you that is absolute truth? This really wasn't an issue until about the 1700s. In the 1700s, all of a sudden, the Enlightenment years happened, and people started thinking, oh, my gosh, we're smarter than God. Our minds now have become our God intellectually. And a lot of great things happened from the intellectual spurring all of that. But the reality is anytime time something physical happened, there was always a spiritual reason. Not so much today. People are not looking for the spiritual reality of where they base their morals or, or, or things like that. So if you don't base your morals on the Scripture, then obviously, I'm glad you're here. Um, just hang out. You're going to hear why we believe the Scripture and base our morals on it. Uh, but if you do, if you do say, I believe this is God's Word, and I do believe that God is real, then we have to look at what God has said. Because here's the reality. When God's Word contradicts how I feel, what I believe, what the government says, what society says, what the world says, this is always right and that is others are always wrong. And the problem is, the problem is, the, the problem is, is when we go, well, I don't believe that is true. I'm going to come up with my own truth. I believe God should. And then we become our own little G gods that we think we get to rewrite what God has said. So again, I'm coming from the assumption you believe this is true. You believe God is true. And what does he have to say when it comes to sexual sins? So there's all kinds of places in the Bible we could go talk about sexual morality. Uh, there's one specific one I'm going to go to. It's 1 Corinthians because chapter 6. This, uh, this uh, verses here we're going to talk about actually encumbrance all of your questions that you ask. All the questions you talked about sexual sins are found right here in this passage. And so there's a list of other sins too. Uh, I'm not going to focus so much on those because the questions came about sexual sin. But make sure we set the context straight. Paul is writing to the church. He's talking to Christians in the church, inside the church. So make sure we're on the same page. He's writing to the church at Corinth, all the churches in the city, and here's what he begins to say. So if you're ready, really ready to get started, say, let's go. All right, you said it. Here we go, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived by this. Don't, be, don't listen to the deception that comes your way. The sexual immoral, the idolatrous, the adulterers, 
passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the verbal abusive, the swandlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Like, this is Paul writing a letter to the church, speaking to the people in the church. And he says, listen, there's all these sins. Yeah, there were some sexual sins, but listen, there's drunkards, there's thieves, there's verbally abusive. And so what happens a lot of times, especially sexual sins, because sexual sins are messy. Sexual sins are sticky. When someone comes into my office and they talk about guilt and shame and pain, 99.999% of the time it always did was something sexual in the past. Always. And I'm talking about something that happened 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. There's always type, this type of sexual sin in their past. But he says, listen, don't just throw out sexual sins there. What about the greedy? What about the one that's living as a drunkard? What about the one that's verbally abusive? So before you just, you can't just cherry pick verses out. You got to put this. He's talking about to all the people. He didn't list all the sins, but he said, here's a bunch that's happening within your church. So let's, happen, let's look at the first one. It says sexual immoral. That word immoral is actually a Greek word called pornos. Does that sound familiar? Pornos. It's where we get our word pornography. And he says anything that's pornos, that deals like this pornographic, this pornos, this sex morality outside of marriage is a sin. So let's walk through what some of those things may be. Here's some. Sex with someone who is not your spouse. That's sexual morality. Sex with someone who is not your spouse is considered sexual sin. Some of you here, you're dating, you're in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, and you're sleeping with each other. You feel guilty about it. You talk about it. You pray and say, okay, God, forgive us. We shouldn't do this. We know better than this. I'm talking to Christians. And you say, we're not going to do it. We're going to make a commitment. We're going to stay pure. We're not going to do this. We're going to keep your hands off. And five days, six days a week, you may make it two weeks, and then bam, you do it again. And you feel bad about, God, I'm sorry again. I messed up again. That is sexual sin. Some of you are single again, and you're dating now, and you're older. And you thought, I'm past the teenage now. I've already had sex. I've already been in that relationship. And, and now we're just dating. We live in separate homes, but we're sleeping with each other. That's sexual sin. Some of you, you're looking at pornography. I'm amazed about the married couples that the spouse is usually the lady, lets her husband look at pornography because she thinks it's no big deal. In fact, one out of three people searching the internet for pornography today are women. So it's not just a man thing. But the ladies would say, it's okay, that's what he does, and I can't stop him from doing it. He's going to do it anyway, so whatever. Listen to me, sir, that's a sin. Jesus looked at the people and said, you think the act of adultery is sin. Jesus says, wait, 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 let's, let's go back further. I say if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. You have just done the same act of sin. So what happens is some of you go, okay, okay, we won't have sex then. And here's what I usually get from usually young people or, or teenagers or college students. Well, then how far is too far? Listen to me. Oral sex outside of a marriage is sexual sin. Any sexual activity outside of a marriage is sexual sin. Pornography, sexual sin. Touching yourself. It's a clean way I should say this. It's sexual sin. 
You're fulfilling the desires of your flesh to let that out. Let's be honest with you. Most people in the Bible, they were married by the age of 13 or 14. So they didn't go through the hormone desires that you have. And God gave us these desires. God created sex and sex is great in the context of a marriage. How he formed it. But leading psychologists today and people say it's just a human body and how the human reacts and how we should release ourselves and all this stuff. But every time you look at sex in the Bible, it's always two, not one. Paul's argument about this was if you burn with sexual lust and passion, what did he say? He did not say go find a place by yourself. He said if that's you, then you need to go get married. And in the context of your marriage, you can figure out a way to release your sexual passion that God wired you and how God put within you. Any sexual activity outside of a marriage, according to the Bible, is sexual sin. That also includes same-sex sex. Doesn't matter if it's heterosexual, it's a sin. If it's homosexual, it's a sin. All sexual activity outside of marriage, according to the Scripture, the morals that we base it on, is a sin. It doesn't matter. Heterosexual, homosexual, same-sex, opposite sex, doesn't matter. Everything outside of marriage is a sin. Then which leads to the question then, as the Bible says, all sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin, then what about two men who love each other for the rest of their life in a same-sex marriage? What about two women who love each other for the rest of their life, they're committed for the rest of their life in a same-sex marriage? Y'all know this, man. It just, this just went down in our backyard here. Y'all, y'all, I mean, we're like, Moorhead was put on the map because of this whole topic right here. How does this work? How does it move? How, how do we relate to that? What about that couple? Because if it's outside of marriage, then what if it's in marriage? Well, if you look through the scripture, every single time it talked about same-sex sexual activity, every time, was always in a negative light and never in a positive way. Any sexual activity. Any sexual activity inside the higher Bible, through the entire Bible. You go to the Old Testament and pull out Leviticus, and what happens is when you pull out a verse from Leviticus, because here's, here's, the, here's the reaction, here's the reaction, is, well, if you're going to take that verse out, then you better talk about tattoos, you better talk about side, side, uh, cutting your sideburns, you better talk about certain meats, and you better talk about crossbreeding animals. So you better talk about your golden doodle, your chickapoodle, your Aussie doodle, because you crossbreed them, and Leviticus says, don't crossbreed your animal. And that's usually the argument. But when you look at the Levitical code, there were three types of law. Ceremonial laws, civil laws, and there's moral laws. And when you write through Leviticus, there's a ceremonial law, there's a civil law, there's a moral law, then a civil law, then a ceremonial law, back to a moral law. The civil law and the ceremonial laws only apply to ancient Israel. The moral laws still stand through the New Testament, and they still stand all the way through today. So when someone cherry-picks a verse out of the Old Testament, says a man and a man and a woman and a woman, that's abomination to God. And they go, what about the sideburn stuff? He's talking about, or she is talking about, the moral law that transcends all through the day, even to the day. And so you can't come out with that argument. And then people say, well, Jesus really said something about it. And it says, Jesus didn't say nothing about it. Then really it must be okay. No, Jesus did say something about it. They asked Jesus about marriage, and Jesus says, well, it wasn't like that in the beginning. God created male and female, and God instituted marriage at that moment. But here's what happens. Well, our minds are smarter than God, and it should be fair, and it should be right to give two men or two women a piece of paper 
and inside that marriage, then any sexual activity inside that should be okay. Folks, a piece of paper doesn't change God's moral law whatsoever. A piece of paper, y'all know that. What's a piece of paper? It's not going to change anything. It doesn't change what God has set up all the way through. And all the way through the Scripture, all sexual sin, listen, before you start throwing stones or something, all sexual, heterosexual sexual sin, homosexual sin, all sexual sin outside of marriage is condemned. And it's looked, frowned upon in a negative way, and the Bible calls that sexual sin. Even Paul, if you read Romans chapter 1, he talks about um, our minds have now given over to ourselves. And finally God said, if that's the passion you want, and that's the desire you want, and that's the way you want to go, then I'm just going to let you go over to yourself, and you have a choice, and you get to choose. And Paul says this, they, they abandoned, that God abandoned them because of their shameful desires in their heart. And it said women begin to have relationships with women that were unnatural. Men begin to have relationships with men that were unnatural. And then it says in verse 27, and result of their sin. And I know all the arguments. I, I've been there because, listen, I have, I, have family member, I have family members on my side of the family, on my wife's side of the family. We have these conversations. We walk through this. You're sitting here today. You have a child, a parent, a grandparent, a kid, somebody correct directly to you, connected with you. And you're like, wait, this is, how, how, do you, how, do you, how does the church navigate this? In an ever-changing culture, a very progressive liberal culture, how do we, as we st- say this is God's word, how do we actually balance all these things? How do, how, do we, how do we deal with something like that? Well, we're not afraid to have a conversation. And this, the church should be the place where we can have conversations. And that we can walk through this. So the question really behind it, and this is me reading your questions you submitted to about sexual sin, about the same-sex sin, and all this stuff. The truth is, all of us are bent toward sin. Every one of us. So no one can throw a stone at anybody else. No one here is better than anybody else. So just make sure we're all on the same page. But here's what it comes out to you're here this morning and you say pastor I believe in Jesus and I believe this is God's word and I do I want to do everything within me to follow Jesus but as for as long as I can remember I've been attracted to the opposite to the same sex what do I do what do I do I believe this is God's word. And if you and if you if, if that's true, what you said about God's word and all sexual sin outside of marriage is is wrong, heterosexual and homosexual. And marriage is only between a man and a woman. And as for as long as I can remember, I have attraction towards the same sex. What do I do? How do you respond to that? First, let me say this. The church has been very bad of wounding and beating people up with truth. And people who are really struggling, who have really strong questions and need help to walk and navigate, they won't come through our doors because someone has stood up and they have preached truth, but with no love. And when you preach truth with no love, that's brutality. But then the opposite's true as well. 
if all the place you ever go to is a place and all they do is preach love and it's grace and you do whatever you want, you're free to love who you want, live how you want, express your desires how you want, you do you, and, and you have somebody that preaches all love but they don't preach the truth, that's hypocrisy. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He spoke truth, but then go sin no more. He spoke truth, but he spoke love. And my prayer as your pastor is not to shy away from hard subjects. The Bible talks about these things. Let's have a conversation. But it's to be someone who would speak with love and truth and also understand that all of us have struggled with sexual sin. There's not nobody in here at some point in your life you have struggled with sexual sin in your life. Heterosexual sin, no one, you're not any different. But what would you say to me if you're sitting here, if you're watching online? I would say to you, if you're struggling with same-sex attraction and you want to hold the standard of marriage, you want to hold the standard to what God's Word says and you want to follow Jesus, then I would encourage you for you to live a life of celibacy. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, practice self-control as you walk in the Spirit. And that's what I would say to you as your pastor. When you're like, well, I don't know if that's fair, that's not, that's not right, that, you know, I, I would say practice a life of celibacy and depend on the Holy Spirit for self-control, just like I do every day and just like you do every day. Just let me speak to the guys here because I'm a guy. Just like you are tempted to lust over a woman who's not your wife, you have to practice the same self-control and walk in the Spirit and say, God, guard my heart, guard my mind as I walk out my life today. So the same Holy Spirit you have to depend on and say, God, I pray and submit to you that you would help control my thoughts towards the same sex. I have to sit and pray the same thing. God, will you help me not control and help control my thoughts to the opposite sex? And then what happens, what it comes down to is you say, well, pastor, you know, but I was just born this way. Well, to this day, with all of our research and science, they've mapped the whole human body DNA. They've mapped all the chromosomes and everything in your body. And to this day, there has not been proven to be a gay gene. They can't, science can't look at a, an embryo and say, based on the genetic testing and genetics of this embryo, that this sexual orientation will come out of this person. They, they can't do that. But even if you say, Pastor, but that's just how I was born. I, I was just, as long as I can remember, the same thing I would say to me, all of us are born and bent towards sin. Sin has warped every one of us. Every one of us, just like the, the person who comes from an alcoholic background and the child is born with a, 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 with a desire for alcoholism or, or their parent was on drugs and the baby is still weaned that way and, and desires that and has to struggle through that. It, it affects us all. So if someone would come and say, well, this is just how I am and I was just born this way, I would say I was born that way too into sin. And that's why the Bible says we must be born again. Because all of us are born bent towards sin. Your sin, my sin may be different, but it's still sin. And we have to practice the self-control as we walk in the Spirit. But some of you are going, well, Pastor, it says this person cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? Well, if you understand the context, Paul is writing to the church, to the people who said, I'm going to purposely, willfully abandon God's law, abandon God's way, abandon God's word. Even though I know what's right, I'm going to abandon the truth and I'm going to practice a lifestyle of same sex. I'm going to practice a lifestyle of sexual morality with heterosex. I'm going to practice a lifestyle of drunkenness. I'm just going to go all at it. I know the truth. I'm abandoning God. And he says those people will not inherit the kingdom of God because John says the reason they went away from us is because they never were apart from us. Because when the Holy Spirit comes within us, he will convict us of the sin in our life. And if there's no conviction as you live your lifestyle, whether it's a swandler, abusive person, pornography, and there's no conviction, you have to check your heart and say, is the Spirit of God really within me? Because only He can change my life. But do you want some good news? You read all those sins, sexual sins and regular sins, you're like, some of us, we hold our head down going, do I even have a chance? Because I had to repent of my sexual sins. I'm on the same playing field as you. I had to walk through the things that you're walking through. Maybe not different, exactly the same, but behind it is with the practice in the same self-control. I never forget, you know, I, I gave my life to Jesus and then I met my wife and my wife was raised in church her entire life. And here she meets a hellion like me, radically saved, addicted to porn. God's doing a work in my life and changing me. We made a commitment we're not going to have sex before we get married. A year and a half into our relationship, we're engaged and I'm sitting with a friend of mine and he leans over at me and he looks at me and says, so how was Leanne in bed? I said, I don't know. He goes, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know. He goes, come on, man. You got to try it out before you buy it out. You got you to try it, man. I was like, what do you mean? I said, I'm not married for sex. And at 40, this was 20 years ago. We had to depend on the Holy Spirit to practice self-control in our life. Like, I can't believe you ain't going to have to say, listen, man, we'll figure that out. You can put two dogs in a the room. They're going to figure out how to do something. We, we'll figure it out. We, we'll figure this thing out. How do you know if you're compatible? I, she's sexy and godly. What do you mean? Now we'll figure that out. But we had to practice self-control. Just like anything that you may be tempted with in your life that you believe when you look at the Scripture that calls it a sin. Here's the good news. So thankful. That God speaks truth, but then look at the grace in verse 11. Chapter, verse 12 all the way through 20 in this chapter is about your changed life. But look at verse 11. Some of you once lived this way. Did you see that? Some of you once lived this way. You were sexually more, which means you were doing all the sexual activity outside of marriage. He said you were passive in homosexual relationships you know what that that's a clean english translation to say you're a pedophile some of you and it was talking about men some of you were men were having sex with boys and god changed your heart there's no one in this room would say it's okay for a man to carry out his sexual desires on a little boy that he should practice self-control but he's born that way that's how god wired him 
He should fulfill his desires and have sex with that little boy. None of us would say that. But Paul says some of you used to be pedophiles and you've come out of that. Some of you were practicing same sex and you've come out of that. Some of you were sleeping with people who weren't your wife and you were married, but you've come out of that. Don't, did you see this? He said, you've come out and then look what happened to you. This is so good. He said, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified just as you've never sinned. Is that not good news? Is that not God's grace? So you're sitting here going, wait, 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 what do I do? You do just like what I did if you're in sexual sin. You repent. And God says, I'll wash you. I will sanctify you. And I will justify you. But man, you don't know my past, Pastor. You don't know what I've come from. Does it have to? He said, he'll forgive you. In this series, someone snuck in my office and they put a, um, I should say snuck. I don't know. Maybe they snuck. Maybe they passed it on. I don't. Someone wrote a note and said, it was over 30 years ago I committed adultery. Will God forgive me and let me into heaven? Look at me. Absolutely. You just repent of your sin. Because Paul was saying these are people who consistently walk, practicing this every single day, in your face, drunkard, in your face. This. He said those people, it's evident that the Spirit of God's not within them. But for you, you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified. And so my encouragement to you today, and I know this is a tough subject, and I know we're all affected by this in some form or fashion with family and friends, and, and how do you navigate that? And just because you disagree doesn't mean I hate you, and, and if you disagree, then you're a bigot. No. We, we love you so much, we want to have the conversation with the drunkard. We want to have the conversation with someone who's committed adultery. We want to have a conversation with someone who's practicing uh, homosexuality. We want to have a conversation with someone who's looking at pornography. We, we're... We've all have sinned. No one here is better than anybody else. But if this is God's standard and this is God's morals and absolute truth, then we must yield to our nature, to our nurture, to our experiences, and we must bring it all subjective under to God's Word because if something in my life contradicts this, this is right, this is wrong. In my life, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. Talking about this, I can sense has brought up more questions. It's brought up things in your past. I pray for some of you; it set you free. I pray for some of you, you realize you need to drop your stones and quit throwing your stones because we all have committed sexual sins. I pray that you go back and rethink and pray through what it's like to speak truth and gracious at the same time. That we're not judging. We're just sharing what God's Word says about, what's this? Not about one single person, about all of us including myself. And no matter what sexual sin you may be struggling with, let's take it a step further. No matter what sin you may be struggling with, please run to Jesus. Please keep your eyes on Jesus. 
He loves you so much that he sent his son, God did, to die for you. And he loves you. Now open your heart and experience his love. And when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, by yielding to the Spirit, you'll be able to walk in self-control. That is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's self-control. And He will give you the power, the grace, to walk out His purpose and plan for your life. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, I promise you He loves you so much that today would be the best day of your entire life to do it. You could say, Jesus, I believe that you came for me and you died for me. And I believe you got out of the grave for me. Today I repent of my sin and I give my life to you. Holy Spirit, please help me practice self-control and submit to you as the author and the perfecter of my faith. And if that's you, at both of our locations, we'd love for you to go to the Next Step area so we can help you, pray with you, give you some resources to walk. If you're struggling with anything in your life, you need somebody to pray with, please go to the Next Step area. We're here to pray for you, no matter what's going on in your life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how relevant it is today, even into an ever-changing culture, ever-changing society, ever-changing word world. That your moral law never changes. And may God, because sin has entered the world, it warped me. It warped me. And I, born a sinner. But thanks be to your love and your grace and your mercy that you sent your son for me. That even in the midst of my sin, you saved me. And you gave me a second chance. So, Father, thank you personally for saving me. And I pray, God, that you will save people today. For it's in your name that I ask and I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. Let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you would like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon.